1: Before I get to my next guest, Mark Lai, I want to remind you about a couple of our friends, starting with the folks over at Adele Golf. Is your driver adjustable? Of course it is. How about your irons? Didn't think so. Adele's new SMS irons give you adjustability in an iron to match your swing. These new irons come with three weights lined up across the back of the club. By moving the heavyweight to the heel, center, or toe location, you can match the club to your swing instead of vice versa. The result? Total control of the club face for more distance and accuracy. Your irons can't do this. Check them out online by going to adelgolf.com. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking, because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented Squares Toe provides balance stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to Squares.com, get the Squares 30-day money-back guarantee, and use promo code DISTANCE to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground squares the distance golf shoe okay now next on the tee with me is former tour pro now broadcaster mark lie mark is from vallejo california played golf in high school at napa high where he never lost a match and was named their athlete of the year in 1970 he was inducted into their hall of fame in 1997 played his college golf at san jose state where he was a three-time all-american Mark finished ninth in the NCAA National Championship in 1973 and 16th in 1975. He won 9 times during his college career, including the 1975 Western Intercollegiate Championship. That year, he was named Golf World Magazine's First Team All-American. He turned pro in the summer of 1975. He won the 1976 Colgate Champion of Champions in Melbourne, Australia and the 1976 Rolex Trophy in Geneva, Switzerland. Mark would go on to win the 1976 Australian Order of Merit. He played on the PGA Tour from 1977 to 1994, got his first win on tour at the 1983 Bank of Boston Classic. In 84, he shot the lowest round on tour, a 61 at the Walt Disney World Invitational. After his playing career, he became an excellent broadcaster, working for the Golf Channel and Sirius XM. And I'm very honored to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mark. Thanks for coming on the show.
0: You bet, Chris. Uh, Heard a lot about your show, and uh, thanks for that. You brought me back some fantastic memories. I hadn't thought about those days at San Jose State for a long time.
1: (laughs) Well, we're going to talk a little (laughs) bit about it tonight. How are you guys holding up down there, Mark? The hurricane's about to bear down on you. Are you guys safe?
0: Um. You know, I, it's getting worse as we look at it. Now, I've been through a few hurricanes here, Wilma, Charlie, and Irma was the worst about five years ago. And I owned two houses at the time, and the center of the of the storm passed over both houses that I owned. So we sustained a lot of damage. Now, this, this storm is tracking right at us right now. I mean, they've been saying it's going to go into the Tampa, Sarasota area. But in the last couple of hours, it's kind of gone, it's veered off a little bit east. So I think Fort Myers, and I live in Bonita Springs right now, even though I have a Naples address, it's in, uh, it's in Lee County, which is uh, qualified as Bonita Springs. It looks like it's got a, just a, a, a bullet line to, to Fort Myers and just maybe south of Fort Myers. So we'll see what happens. Uh, let me tell you, Chris they really sensationalize these things uh to the point where I think I'm gonna die. You know? <laughs> I mean I was, when 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 Irma was coming through here, uh we they we thought there was gonna be a ten foot surge would have put uh Naples underwater and a good friend of mine named uh David Hoffman, he owns about half the town down in Naples. I thought he was done. Uh But, you know, the storm just veered off at the very last minute. We don't get the kind of surges that they're talking about. Um, however, I don't want to downplay the severity of this thing because, you know, everyone gets kind of – if you live in a trailer park, I would say you need to hide. Uh But if you're in a nice, solid house uh that is up to the hurricane codes, you should be – you know, in pretty good shape. But right now for us, we're just kind of waiting until about, you know, two or three in the morning and we'll see how it goes. But I've had a lot of friends from uh, California uh, uh, texting me and saying, hope you're okay. And my, my buddy, Ed Fiore uh, from uh, Texas. And everybody of course hears about this uh, nationwide because it's on the weather channel, which I have turned on right now. Um But no, I think I think we're going to be okay, and uh, thanks for your concern on that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Fingers crossed, prayers up for you and everybody down in that area. You guys will certainly be on our minds, and we'll be praying for you for the next few days. Mark, I always like to start at the beginning, anytime I have a new guest on the show, and I read that you got your first set of golf clubs when you were nine years old. Is that when golf became the game that you wanted to play?
0: It, it kind of was. Uh, you know, I had a Three, five, seven iron. That was seven iron was the highest lofted club in my bag. Uh, I had a putter and a three wood, and uh, I played this little golf course called uh, Chabot Lake Chabot. It was a an executive course, and my dad, of course, just dropped me off, and and I just did my thing out there, and I, I just absolutely loved it. It was a perfect game for me, and you know I just kept on going with it, and my love for the game just. Is I still have the love for the game. And I just kept going to each level and um, really, really enjoyed my junior golf, which was in Northern California. I still keep in touch with a lot of my San Francisco, Napa Valley uh, friends. Um, you know, my mom has property out there. She lives with us out here now in Naples, uh, being 90 years old. But I, I go to San Fran and Carmel quite a bit uh, to, to see all my buddies uh, four times so far this year. And guys that I played my junior golf with, I'm still in touch with a little bit.
1: And you were winning, I read, golf tournaments at age twelve and thirteen years old. You go to high school, you never lost a match I read. That's amazing. Talk about the, the success as a junior player.
0: Well, you know, I was a skinny kid. I was um diabetic since age fifteen. There weren't any other scores that I or any other sports that I could really play, Chris. You know, um, I, I felt that golf was suited to me cause I wasn't a strong kid and all the other athletes, you know, they were baseball players, football players, basketball players, but that, that wasn't going to be me. I figured the way I could excel was, was to really beat them up uh, by practicing and working on my short game. And, <laughs> uh, my buddies just tell me, they, I said, what was it like playing against me? They said, man, it wasn't any fun because anywhere you were on the surface, you had a threat of making it i mean it's like everybody else out of field playing jordan speed i mean that, that's how i played <laughs> i didn't know where it was going but i could put it uh but yeah it's amazing i never lost a match in in, uh, in high school in my my three years of high school back then our our you know junior high was through ninth grade and high school was uh you know sophomore junior senior year so it was only three years but i lost one point and the kid's name was Ron Asker, A-S-K-E-R. Wow. He's the only guy that ever got a point off of me. And I think he was from Santa Rosa High, but good job, Ron. I hope you're out there alive and well. Uh, but it was <laughs> it was quite a record. And then, then uh, you know, I just went through the junior golf program in Northern California and then, um, you know, went to San Jose State, stayed, stayed in Northern California and if I'd have known any better, Chris, and known how hard the game was going to be, uh, you know, when you turn pro, I, I mean, I probably would have done something else. But ignorance is bliss in this game because <laughs> if, if you knew how hard it was going to be, uh, maybe you you would uh, consider doing something else. But my, my life has been great. Um you know, I'm in my late sixties now and I I still love the game and play the game and I'm watching my kids who are fifteen and seventeen play junior golf now, so it's a blast.
1: So Mark, as a kid who had so much success playing high school golf, I have to imagine colleges were knocking down your door. Who who all was in the mix for you and how did you end up choosing San Jose State?
0: Well, you're gonna you're gonna love this. And and here's the deal. Because I was a diabetic And because I hadn't grown yet in my, you know, junior and senior year in high school, nobody wanted me. I'm not kidding. Really? Uh, I am not kidding you. I tried Stanford. I tried Arizona State. I tried Brigham Young. I played with the coach at Brigham Young. And the coach didn't think that, because Johnny Miller was my friend, and I was taking lessons teacher named John Geertsen Sr. at San Francisco Golf Club. So I played with Coach Tucker one day, and he played with another kid from San Francisco. His name was Rob O'Neill. Rob O'Neill was a tall, good-looking kid, could hit it nine miles. And I was playing golf at a different kind of level. Uh, I was shooting low scores, but it looked like the worst round. But it looked like I was a 10 handicapper who had his career day every day on the golf (laughs) course. So even though I was winning junior tournaments, it wasn't very impressive. So I never got an offer from any of those schools except for San Jose State. And San Jose State was kind of a commuter school and it was, it was right up my alley. So I got a full ride there, which basically consisted of about 160 bucks for tuition and 25 bucks a month for, uh, books. (laughs) Wow. So so that was a full ride. Now here's the deal. (laughs) When I played in college, uh, I, I started getting stronger. I grew one year, um, I mean, uh, like 40 pounds and four inches in height in one year. Being a diabetic, I wasn't able to really grow enough because I was being mistreated. My treatment was not good back then. So when I got to San Jose State, I had a great doctor. He helped me put on weight. And by the end of the college, uh, you know, career I had done really well but I will tell you this I let those coaches know that passed over me like the coach from Brigham Young his name is Carl Tucker a wonderful guy and I love Carl Tucker he was great to his kids and I you know we'd be looking at the board one day and I'd be on top of the board and I said man coach Tucker I really wish I could have played for you guys
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and,
0: uh, the coach at, uh, at Arizona State was a guy named Bill Mann. Wonderful guy. He was always at the board. Uh, he was doing the scoring at the board. And they had a great team back then. Charlie Gibson, a guy named, you know, Arizona State had some, some great players, uh, through all the years. And, uh, so I'd go to that board and I'd, I'm like, hey, coach, how you doing, man? I really wish you had returned a letter for me that, that I wrote you back when I was uh, in high school. And he's yeah, me too, son. But, you know, we were full. So I made those guys pay, you know. And it, and it was it, it was fun. But, you know, I didn't have any idea what was in store for me um, down the road. 18 years of the tour, two years of playing, both in Australia and a little bit in Europe, many tours. And uh, here I sit back now, just remembering all the stuff that uh, that I went through, and it was it was very well worth it.
1: Mark, you mentioned great players, and you had a lot of them come through San Jose State. I believe Roger Malty was there and graduated right before yes. you, a great friend of the show, yes. Mark Weeby, uh, a little bit after yes. you. But I mean, you had Ken Venturi and Don Levin and Bob Harris, Terry Small, Craig Harmon. Bob Eastwood, Aaron Oberhauser. Talk about the rich history of men's golf there at San Jose State. Well, I
0: wouldn't say it's a rich history. You know, it's kind of like we were the underdog. Uh we never had the budget that Stanford did when I was going there. Uh uh Budfinger was a the coach there and it was Bruce Summerhays after that. It was a great player. Uh we had we made more out of nothing than anybody. Uh one year when oh, I we played against some of the best teams, the biggest teams, the the Wake Forest, the University of Florida, University of Houston. And we did really well against those guys with, with nothing. I mean, Stanford had a, a an endless budget. They had their own golf course. I mean, we just loved going to Stanford and playing those guys and beating up on them then. Uh you know, they had they had a great history there with Tom Watson was a big boy. You know, he was I think he was a senior when I was a freshman. Uh, but, but all these other schools, Southern Cal, USC, uh, they had all the money, but we had a lot of game back then. And, uh, even when we played, you know, against Wake Forest and University of Florida and, and Houston, uh, University of Texas, we, we still did well. We, I don't know how we did it. We did. We did. Okay. Those days have changed. You know, now, now college golf is, uh, it's like a. It's like a job now. You know, it wasn't a love of life. It's kind of like a job. I talked to some kids that go to school uh, these days, and they say, oh, my gosh, it's it's a full-time deal. Uh, for us back then in the, in the 70s, it was not quite uh, that prestigious. But uh, still, it was fun.
1: Mark, after you graduated, you attempted to get through Q School three times, and you were successful on the third try in the fall of 1976. You ended up finished tied for third over the course of that event behind Keith Fergus and Mike Sullivan. But along with those two in the field, you had a ton of great talent. A lot of guys that ended up playing long careers out on the PGA Tour. Guys like Graham Marsh, Vincente Fernandez, Jay Haas, Dick Mass, Jack Newton, Peter Jacobson, Don Pulley, Mike Reed, Ron Strecht, and I could go on and on about the great talent that year. Talk about finishing near the top of that field and what it was like getting through the six-round Q School process.
0: Well, I do remember one guy that missed it that year, and it was Curtis Strange. And uh, so that's how tough. Uh, Curtis Strange was arguably the best player in college golf, and he and Jay Hawes were on the same team. And I remember Curtis calling his wife, and, you know, or his wife calling somebody else, and she was crying because Curtis had missed it. And, uh, you know, it was just very tough. Uh, the good thing about Q School back in those days is they had it every I missed it by uh, one shot the first time, by two shots the next time. And then the third time I got it was basically a year after the first time I I went to Q school. I said, how in the hell am I ever going to get through this thing? Because this is just a pressure cooker. Um, But, you know, I blew in there. I blew right in there. It was the wettest eight days I ever played golf in my life. It was in Brownsville, Texas. Every day I kept going up the course saying Well, they certainly have to rain it out today, but, uh, yeah, I remember those days. Uh, Graham Marsh was 10 years older than everybody in the field. I mean, he was a 32 year old, uh, Australian player who had, uh, a, you know, repertoire and, and everybody kind of knew who he was. And so, so we were playing against guys like him. And then I think he ended up getting rookie of the year. His first year, I think he won, uh, it was, was Hilton Head this first year. So as a 30 or 31 year old rookie, uh uh Graham Marsh got the nod for that. But uh yeah, it was basically a bunch of college guys and a few few players that tried to get through the school a bunch. It was it was tough. Uh they I think we had like 400 players and they took 20 uh 21 players that year that I got my card. It, it was just never easy.
1: Mark, you break through on the PGA Tour, get your first win there in 1983 at the Bank of Boston Classic. Coming from eight strokes back in the final round, you shot 64 to win over another great friend here on the show, John Mahaffey, plus Jim Thorpe and uh, Sammy Rachel. You go birdie par, birdie birdie to take the final round charge and, and, and win the golf tournament. Talk about what it was like when you finally break through and get your first win.
0: Well, I got to be honest. I never expected to win that day, but as we kept going through the round, it was a brutally windy day that day, and I had a good start, and I kind of hung on in there, and I do remember the par 3-14. Uh, the 14th was about a three-iron off the tee, it was about 210 yards, and I was a pretty big hitter, and uh, I was close at that time. They didn't have boards on every hole. They had them every, like, third hole. And so I remember hitting it on the green and free wapping it. And I was about ready to hit a four iron. And my caddy said, you know, this goal's been playing a little bit longer, so let, let's go with the three iron. So I hit the three iron, and I hit about 30 to 35 feet long. And, I, I mean, it was all over the flag. It just went long. And then I three-putted that hole. And then he said, Mark, I gave you the wrong club. And I said, yep, yeah, I've got my adrenaline going here. But let's finish this off right. So you're right. I went uh, birdie, par, birdie, birdie. And 17 was a brutally tough hole. Uh It's like a one iron off a tee to no fairway and a lake in front of the green. And any time you made par there, you were just counting your blessings. And I ended up birding that hole. And Lou Graham, who I was playing golf with that day, and, and Dan Forsman, my other playing partner, Lou Graham basically, son, he says, if you knock it if you make birdie on this hole, he says, you might have a shot on it. So I remember that. Louis Sweet Lou. I hit a drive out there and then I just ripped all over a two iron that went about two forty. And wow. I hit it over the green again. And I chipped it down within six feet and made the putt. And then I watched Mahaffey and Fuzzy was in the Han and Sammy Rachels, who was a really good player. Uh, Jimmy Thorpe was another good player. So I finished about an hour ahead of those guys because I was so far back. And I remember going to the putting green uh, in front of the clubhouse and just saying, how am I going to occupy myself for the next hour? And uh, I just kept thinking, you know, things like this don't happen to people like me. There's no way I'm going to win. I'm going to have to, you know, just get ready for that. And sure enough uh as soon as uh I heard a bunch of people clapping and all that stuff, I figured that somebody had buried the last hole or done something crazy and as I'm walking back uh to the 18th green, I said, "Who won the thing?" and they said, "Oh, some guy named lie <laughs> <laughs> so those guys uh never made birdies in the last couple of holes, so i got my got my first win and Uh, one in Australia, one in Europe, but that was my first and only win on the PGA Tour. It was more than I ever thought I could do.
1: In that 83 season, you finished tied for second at the Pensacola Open, tied for third at the Western Open. You had two other top tens as well. What clicked that year for you?
0: Yeah, I think it was self-belief. You know, you play 77. That was my first year. I finished 100th on the list, one ahead of Arnold Palmer on the list. Then the next year, my sophomore jinx, I mean, I barely, you know, barely kept my card that year. The third year, I had a chance to win. I almost won on my home course at Napa, Silverado Country Club. And then ever since then, I said, you know, I should have won that tournament. And I really learned, it took me three or four years to learn how to play the tour. Uh, We were traveling in cars those days. And, uh, you know, we weren't flying to a lot of events. So I got comfortable out there, and I, I got a little bit healthy, and I learned how to play. So that year was kind of like my coming out year, and I had another year in '84, and some other good years after that. Um, but I think, you know, it's it's just a weird game. You never feel like you belong because you're always playing against guys like I remember playing with George Newson and Lee Trevino in the Houston Open one year, and I played with Jack Nicklaus and Lee Trevino in the same day in, in the Canadian Open at Glen Abbey. And then I'm playing with, you know, Tom Watson and Tom Weiskopf one time at, at uh, San Diego, and I'm saying, you know, how can you beat guys like this? I mean, this this is what you have to do. And so you look at yourself as kind of like a high school college guy, and now you're playing against these these guys like Watson, You know, and you're saying Trevino, guys that are, you know, Hall of Fame guys. So you somehow have to convince yourself that, you know, you're as good as them. You're playing against them all the time. You're going to have to beat them. So that's that's basically what happened. So, I mean, for everybody playing in college right now, they're coming out of college and they're beating everybody. But back in my day, there weren't a lot of guys coming right out of college. Maybe uh, Hal Sutton at Centenary. Uh, he came out and won immediately, and so did Ben Crenshaw. But outside of that, there weren't that many guys that could really man up uh, with the big boy. And it was a little bit intimidating going out with those guys. So I think after about six years, you know, I said, okay, it's time to, you know, cut bait right now. And so it, it happened for me. And I uh, stayed out there until 94. And then uh had some injuries, which which happened uh in your 40s, and then uh, I retired prematurely. I still had a a year exemption on the PGA Tour and decided to forego that. Because I had a major hand injury, and it was going to take me a couple of years to get back. From that. And I, I went to work at the Golf Channel, which was just starting out, and I loved it. And I never went back and took up my defense status. Where I just stayed with Golf Channel for 18 years. Glad I did.
1: Mark, just a couple more before I let you go. And you mentioned that you had another good year in, in 84. Like I mentioned in your intro, you shot the lowest round on tour that year, a 61 at the Walt Disney Classic on the Palm Course during the third round. Were you aware of what you were shooting? And did, did 59 ever start creeping into your mind?
0: It only crept into my mind when I was hitting my last shot on the final hole. Now, the, uh, the I was I was in the middle of, of not playing very well. You know, I had shot, I don't know, 70, 71, or maybe 71, 72. And at Disney, you have to go low out there. So now in round three, they make the cut, and I'm saying, man, I've got to shoot something really good, but I'm at the palm course, which, if you talk to players back then, the Palm Course is by far the hardest golf. okay? That Magnolia was the course played on the final round. And you played the Magnolia, the Buena Vista, and then the Palm Course. And then once they made the cut, you went to play the Magnolia Course. Well, that night, Saturday night, I'll never forget, I was watching a, an interview from Brad Faxon, who shot, it was on, excuse me, on Friday night. Uh So, I'm watching this interview with Brad Faxon. He just went around on, on Friday and shot 63 on the Magnolia course. And I, I just said, how can – I'm shooting 71, 72, and I said, how can anyone possibly shoot that kind of number in golf? How can that possibly happen? Well, dang, the next day on the toughest courses, I just got out there and look, Chris, anyone plays this game for a living. It can happen because it happened to me. I went out to the palm course and I just hit it perfect. And I made some shots. I actually hold a a shot from the fairway from 140 yards. I I hit a, a couple of par fives, made one eagle and I was just make, I was a birdie machine that day. So, and I was playing with amateurs. So I got on the last hole, and uh, my caddy was a guy named John. He worked for me at the Masters that year uh, when I dang or won that damn thing. But uh, I said, How do we stay? And he says, Mark, he says, You're 11 under out there. So I hit my tee shot out there, and I'm over this wedge shot, and it's about 130 yards out of the rough. And that's the first time it dawned on me that I could shoot 59. And that ball flew about. Six inches from the cup. Wow. And it bounded on long uh, about 20 feet by and then I 2 it for my 61. So, for all of you out there that think you can't play dead, just remember it only takes one round to get it going. So, I went to uh, shot the 61 that day and 69 on the Magnolia on Sunday and finished seventh in the tournament, which was way out of reach for me about then because I was in the middle of a slump. So, Anyway, don't get discouraged. This games can surprise you.
1: Mark, one more before I let you go. And I used to listen to your show on SiriusXM all the time. And there was a soundbite during the intro of the show where you said something to the effect of, you can tell yourself all you want that it's just another golf tournament, but it ain't. I speculated you were talking about Rory at Augusta National during that bite. Do you remember that and what you were referring to?
0: Absolutely, I remember that. Because you know, we play in a lot of tournaments each year, but there are special tournaments out there. Okay? One's the players, one's the the US Open, but the biggest one to me was the Masters. And you can talk about it all you want after the round. Well, it wasn't quite happening, it wasn't my week. But you know something? That's one week you can't get a pass on, is the week of the Masters. And uh, Rory had his shot there. <laughs> that's what I said. You may pretend it's another tournament, but it ain't. And that's
1: the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's one of my all time favorite sound bites. Mark, let our listeners know how can we stay up to date with what you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's over social media?
0: I'm doing nothing except social media and uh I basically had my time on the air. Uh but I do have a, a little spot on uh Twitter it's called Let It Fly. F L Y E. And I get my licks into all these people that, that that you know hate me. They hate they
1: it <laughs> <they,
0: they, laughs> that's okay. My deal is is that I take a side, and you already are going to lose half of the people out there if you take a side. If you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat, if you say you're a Republican, you're going to lose half of your fans. If you say you're for LIP and you're not, and, and you're, you know, over the PGA Tour, you're losing half of your fans. So I take that with a grain of salt. I always tell it like I feel it, whether it's popular or not. And that's how I take care of my uh Twitter feed and uh that's what I do now. And in all of my interviews I'm I'm there's nothing that makes me go with the way the wind is blowing. So I think that's why people have, have uh listened to me and watched me over all these years.
1: Well Mark, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night, especially on a night like tonight down there in Naples, but I can't thank you enough for coming and being a part of the show. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope this is the first of many visits that you'll come back and share your stories and insights with us.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot. and Keep doing well, okay? Thanks a lot, Chris.
1: Thanks, Mark. Stay safe down there. That is the great Mark Lye. At Let It Fly on Twitter is where you can follow him. And like he said, Fly is F-L-Y-E. So at Let It Fly on Twitter is how you can stay up to date with Mark. And we have barely scratched the surface of this man's great career. Didn't get into the 1984 Masters, wanted to do that, so hopefully we get the privilege of having Mark back on the show soon and, and our prayers and thoughts for everybody down there where Mark is at in the Florida Gulf Coast, particularly in the Naples area as this storm comes on shore. Staying up to date with Mark, I'll make sure that he is safe and report out to everybody. But thanks to him for coming on the show, and hopefully we are privileged to have him back on again real soon.
0: Wade Ford, we are Atlanta's Ford dealer.
1: Camp Margaritaville RV Resort, where you can just breathe in and breathe out. (sighs) Or move. There's biking, boating, arcade games, hiking, nearby golfing. Or fly through the new Fins Up Water Park. Thrills, chills, twists, and turns. This could be you. Camp Margaritaville at Lanier Islands, an easy one-hour drive from Atlanta. Book your stay today at CampMargaritavilleLanierIslands.com.